Good morning, church family. Today our reading comes from the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourself. As we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of our Lord. Morning, Pillar. How are you? Good. My name's Ned. I'm one of the elders here at Pillar Church, and I'm really honored to have the opportunity to be with you this morning to walk us through our closing sermon on the series that we've been going through in 1 Thessalonians. This is a sermon that we've titled A Gospel-Shaped Family, and that's what we've been trying to become through this book. Paul visited the church at Thessalonica on his second missionary journey, and he stayed with them for about three weeks, which isn't long, but it was enough to develop a deep connection with the church in that city. He grew to love these people. Through some persecution and circumstances, he had to leave, but he wrote a letter back to them based off a report that he received from one of his disciples, Timothy. And we've been diving into this letter, learning how our church family can grow the way that Paul encouraged the church in Thessalonica to grow. And so as we wrap up the series together, we get through his closing remarks. So before we dig into it, I just want to open us up in prayer. Father God, thank you for your church. Thank you for the words that you gave to Paul to write to the church, to teach us what it means to be a family that is rich in the gospel, a family that knows what it means to be rooted in Christ, rooted in truth, and to live that out daily through the ways that we interact with each other and the ways that we honor and glorify you. So God, we pray that you would speak through your word today as we dive into this closing sermon and learn what you would give to us, Lord, as we go, that we can take it with us, that we can honor you, love you, and the ways we carry out the words you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we dive into the new stuff today, let's take a quick look back at where we've been in the last several weeks. Again, we're in 1 Thessalonians, and we've been on this for, for several weeks now. So if we can pull up what we have here is kind of how I see in my words where we've been through the last several weeks. And as I look at these, I imagine a, a wave. We start shallow with a greeting, some affirmation. We get deeper as Paul shares his affection for the people. We get a little more intense as Paul shares some correction, some admonition, calling out some sin, pointing them back to truth from wrong belief. And then today we hit the parting instruction where we kind of lift up, we made it through the, the difficult correcting, and now we have the parting instruction that Paul gives to the church as he closes his letter. So what this sounded like from Paul to the church 
is I, Paul, write to you, the church of Thessalonica. I give thanks to God for you, remembering your faith. I received a good report from Timothy of your good works. And he gets into his deep affection for the people. I long to see you. You are our glory and our joy. Can you imagine saying that to a friend, or to a church, a community? You are my glory and my joy. The relationship that he had with these people is one of the things that stuck with me most from this sermon series, is the depth of relationship that he would say, you are what brings me joy and you are the glory in which I celebrate. We then get into the difficult piece where he walks the church through some correction. We had a week on on sexual purity. We had a week on clarifying some of the gospel preaching on redemption. And he says, we urge you in the Lord Jesus, control your body in holiness and honor. And then moves on to say, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep and about the resurrection. So we get into the depth. This is where he kind of calls them out and say, we need to be pointed back to truth here. But we walked through those sermons together. We got the deep learning and the lessons. And now we come to the close of his letter where he gets to his parting instructions. As he signs off the letter, he leaves them with a list of a few things that may seem just brief and a closing remark, but that are really worth spending some time on. And that's what we get to do together. He says to the church, esteem and admonish each other. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Don't quench the spirit. Test prophecy. Hold fast to what is good and reject what is evil. When I think through the sermon series as a whole, this book as a whole, his letter, I equate it to a speech, a talk from a mentor, maybe a father or a coach. My dad will call me often and if I can't pick up, he'll leave a voicemail. And especially in the mentor heavy years when I was in college, he would often leave me voicemails regularly and it would kind of follow this same pattern. Start light with a greeting, get deep where he would issue me some fatherly wisdom and then kind of come up again for air and issue some light parting instructions. And what that might sound like is, hey Ned, it's your dad, just calling to say I love you. Uh, I heard you did well on a test and I'm really proud of you for that, good work. Get into some affection, like I really miss you buddy and I hope you're doing well. I think about you all the time and I'm praying for you. And then we'd maybe get to some mentoring. Hey, I, I know you're going out skiing with your buddies this weekend, but Don't forget, the decisions that you make, even when you're away from school, can have lifelong impact, so don't do anything that could jeopardize everything you've worked for. And then kind of come back up with a a light parting greeting. Anyways, keep working hard, do well, know that I love you, call soon. And those parting instructions, that's where we are today in our series through 1 Thessalonians. Those parting instructions, though, are something that I would hear over and over and just kind of think, oh, that's how my dad ends a voicemail, you know? But really, I would then get in the car and drive, maybe up to the mountains or whatever I was doing that weekend as I heard that voicemail, and those would start to play back in my mind. Keep working hard, do well, know that I love you. And as you'd sit with those things, find a lot more depth and truth to them than simply some words to close out a letter or a voicemail. Another image that I picture here in reading through this as Paul writes to the church is similar to how a coach might speak to his team. I grew up in Minnesota, which meant I grew up playing hockey, and a a speech in between periods would often sound something like this. All right, guys, you're out there working hard. You're doing a great job. I'm seeing you make good passes. And then we get into some of the depths. Anytime a shot is blocked, you cannot miss those opportunities for the rebounds. Don't let those opportunities get away from you. 
and then come back up to the lighter parting instructions. Work hard, play smart, have fun. And that's three things that I heard from my coach and then my wife's dad coached her teams. Those were the three things he would always say, work hard, play smart, have fun. And we now say those things to our kids as they go and play sports. So those light parting instructions are not just in passing, but actually something that has been repeated and been rehearsed and has depth to it if you take the time to sit with it. Another example I think of is any time I would walk out the door growing up, I would hear my mom yell, make good choices. And I'd laugh it off, okay, sure, mom. But then something would happen, friends would be doing something, and I'd hear my mom, make good choices. And that parting instruction would stick with me and bring me to what was right and what was good most of the time. So I appreciate those parting instructions, the life lessons, the wisdom that is passed through these seemingly light, brief closing remarks, but ones that are worth taking time to sit with. Okay, let's look at what Paul says to his church in his parting instructions. Ben read it this morning as we got started. And the way that I read this, I see three different areas. There's relational instruction, there's personal instruction, and spiritual instruction. First, relational, is how we interact with each other in the church. He encourages us to esteem each other and admonish each other. Personally, he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is how we orient our hearts to him. And then finally, when we engage with the Holy Spirit, don't quench the Spirit, but test and hold fast to what is good. Now, we mentioned that these parting instructions are not just quickly penned at the end of a letter, but actually deeply thought out. So I want to call our attention to another letter that Paul wrote to a church, to the Philippians. In Philippians 4, he closes out his letter with his parting instructions to this church, and you see a lot of parallel here with the letter that he writes to Thessalonica. So on the screen we have Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. You can read with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will surpass all understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As we look at this passage and compare it to what Ben read for us in 1 Thessalonians, we can see that Paul's parting instructions are in fact deeply thought out and consistent across his writings to various churches. So here side by side we see rejoice always, and rejoice in the Lord always, again, rejoice. We see pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, and in all things by prayer with thanksgiving. And finally, hold on to what is good. Alongside whatever is good, think about these things. So, well thought out, though parting instructions, the words of a mentor, mother, father, or coach as you walk out the door, Let's take the time to dig into these because there's a lot more to them than simply closing remarks, but true wisdom and guidance for how we should orient ourselves towards each other, towards the Lord, and towards the Spirit. So, let's get into it. Part one here is the relational. Paul's instructions on how we interact with each other. He covers esteeming and admonishing. 
So in these verses, we see in Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15, that Paul says, acknowledge those who work hard. Acknowledge can also be translated as encourage, respect, esteem, or hold in high regard. Those around us who are doing good work deserve to be recognized for it, and we should encourage them to continue in those good works. God created us with a purpose. He created us with good things to do, so we should do them wholeheartedly, and as a church in relationship, we should lift that up and encourage that in each other. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So when you see somebody fulfilling that, doing the good work that God has set apart for them to do, encourage them, esteem them, maybe compliment them, share some words of encouragement or kindness, but even hold in high regard, think of them highly, look to emulate that good work that we can all be doing good work as the Lord has called us to, as individuals and as a church family. He also says to encourage the timid and help the weak. If there are some among you that are not doing good work, we should be lifting them up, encouraging them to do the good work as well. Help them, provide instruction, provide some coaching and a helping hand to carry them to those good works that God has created for them to do. But it's not all just good happy feelings and high fives here either. He also inserts some pointed words and you notice the word admonish in there twice. To admonish means to warn or reprimand sternly, to urge or advise earnestly. So not always just encouraging to do well, but also appointed instruction, the way that Paul wrote to us in this letter, things that needed calling out. We need to be doing this for each other. It starts by saying, respect those who admonish you. So if you find yourself on the receiving end of some instruction, some constructive criticism, if you will. We should be encouraged by that and think highly of those giving us that admonishment. And then the same goes for us towards others who may need admonishment. Speaking truth, not being afraid to call each other out as it were. It's not to break each other down, it's to build each other up. And if we can truly speak to each other honestly, in truth, calling out sin and calling out brokenness, in a way that is met and received and uplifting, then that's how we grow together as a church. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love and we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. The growing and maturing is important. We talked several weeks ago about moving from a family that is like a field of moss to a family that is like a forest of trees. Moss is shallow and easily uprooted. A forest of trees is deeply rooted, steadfast, and sound in the gospel and in truth. To grow in maturity from the seedling to the mature oak takes some of this admonishment. So let's not cheat each other of that, but instead admonish each other in the Lord, speaking the truth, uplifting each other, but doing so in love. The truth in love is how we grow in maturity. And then we can live out Proverbs 27, 17, which says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Let's be a church that sharpens each other, a church that encourages each other when we're doing well, that admonishes each other when we need it, and that lifts each other up to grow as a family to the mature forest of deeply rooted trees. Okay, 
part two of Paul's parting instructions for us hit on the personal aspect of how we should orient our own hearts towards the Lord. He writes, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. So be happy, talk to God, and be thankful. Pretty straightforward, but I love how he ends this with the verse and says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is why he created us. He created us to be joyful in his creation. He has a good plan for us. He has a good plan for his purposes to be established, and we can find joy in that. He wants to talk to us. He wants to have relationship with us. So we should pray. Praying is speaking to the Lord. We are completely unworthy to have that access. He's the king on the throne, and we have no place except for the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay for those sins, and the curtain was torn from top to bottom that separated the people from the holy, and we now have that access. And God says, come to the throne of grace with boldness. He says, come to me, and you will find me. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. So we have the access to be praying to the Lord, not just at church on Sunday, but continually. This is his will for us. So let's look at each piece individually. First, rejoice always. Rejoice. When times are good, it's easy to rejoice. And we should. We should celebrate. God gives good gifts, and when things are going well, we should be praising him for it. We should be encouraging each other when things are good to say, look what God is doing. I'm happy. I'm thankful. Life is good. The truth of it is, though, that's not always easy, and it's not always just about feelings. So joy is more than simple happiness. It's more than just a feeling that may come and go with circumstance. Instead, joy is a choice. It's one that we need to make deliberately. Regardless of circumstance, we have the ability to choose that by seeking the Lord in his presence. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. So even if circumstance may not lead to happy feelings, we can still choose joy by seeking out his presence. We can find him in his word, in prayer, in gathering with community on a Sunday morning, and seeking out his presence is how we find that joy. But there's probably some of you in here that are saying, I don't feel happy, and I don't even feel like I can choose joy if I wanted to. So is this what that verse is saying? Just, hey, it's not that bad. Find a silver lining. Choose to be happy, right? It's that easy. Truth is, it's not. We live in a broken world, and sometimes that means pain. And so you might be here this morning hearing me stand up and say, we should rejoice. And you think that's not possible for me right now. And that's okay. There are things in this life that will bring us to our knees. And there are things that are more painful than we can put to words. Broken relationships, loss of friends, infertility, loss of a loved one, unexpected changes, things that that can completely sweep you off your feet and just throw your entire life into turmoil. So how, how can we just say, rejoice always? Because sometimes it's not that easy. God gives us an answer to that, and I believe we can find it in Romans 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he has seen? That passage communicates both ends of the spectrum. Creation itself is groaning. We ourselves are in pains like childbirth. God knows the pain that you're going through. He sees you in it, and he understands. When Jesus went to the cross, he took the weight of all of our sin, and that also meant taking the rebuke of God the Father and the rejection of God the Father that we deserved. He has experienced the deepest pain that any of us ever could. He knows, and he's there with you. But the hope that's found in this verse is at the very beginning when it says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. I like to, to visualize this. So it's not saying here that your pain isn't that bad, so just choose to be happy. It's saying we know the pain. God knows the pain. The pain is so far down the scale that it's, it's impossible to even put to words. But the glory that is to be revealed, that God has promised, is so far the other direction and so good that they can't even be compared. It doesn't cheapen the pain, but it heightens the promises that he has for us. He has promised a new creation, a place where there will be no more weeping and no more tears, no more suffering. All will be made right. We will be with him in his presence and his glory and all will be made new. It says at the end of this passage, there is hope and in that hope we are saved. Now, hope may not be something you can see. It may not be something that you feel. But relying on the promises of God, that hope, trusting, not wishing, but knowing that his promises will come true, that his new creation will bring the joy that he has promised, can give us joy even now, even in the depths of whatever pain you're going through that may seem too difficult. So, rejoice always. It may not seem like it's easy to choose to feel happy, but there is hope, a hope that is worthy of joy, even now, because of where God has called us to. The next thing that Paul encourages us to practice is to pray without ceasing. We, we think we get prayer in a church service, right? We started with prayer. I'll probably close with prayer. We think we know what we're doing as far as that goes, but how are we doing on the second piece? Without ceasing. Are we praying continually? I, I'm not. I wish that I did a better job of staying in communion with God, right? We referenced earlier that the veil is torn. He has called us to communion with him, to speak with him through prayer, and that invitation is always open. But I think we miss out on a lot of opportunities to spend that time with him. So what does this mean? Just 
eyes closed, hands folded, 24-7. No, we said earlier, right, that God has created good works for us to do. So he calls us to action. He calls us to be engaging with each other and, and doing good works for him. But there is definitely an element to prayer, both in the quiet times and in the living and in the action. I like to think of this like my relationship with my wife. And there's both intentional face-to-face conversation and continual conversation throughout the day. The intentional conversation is something that we need to carve out. For us, it's usually when we put the kids to bed and then take them potty and then get them water and put them to bed again and say goodnight 25 times, but then we get the intentional time. And we sit down and we get to talk face-to-face, one-on-one, and process our day, engage, share what we're going through, talk about plans for the future, process things from the past, and spend time growing in relationship. But we don't get to do that all the time, right? I go to work throughout the day. She has a bunch of things that she's doing throughout the day as well. There may be times when the kids don't go to bed on time and we don't get that conversation. So how do we stay engaged throughout the day? It's often simple, but important. And so I try to find a time to send a text. Hi, honey, I'm sitting down for lunch. Love you. How's your morning been? And even if she doesn't have the ability to respond before I end up putting my phone back down, just that one connection, though the words were short, it drew our hearts to each other because we thought of each other and engaged. And those little bits of communication throughout the day, though not the intentional face-to-face conversation, keep us together in our relationship. So we should have a similar relationship with the Lord. We need both intentional time of prayer, focused time of meditation in his word, in prayer with him, and continual communication. If you don't have a time of the former, the intentional prayer, the time that you set aside for meditation, I encourage you to find that. There were seasons where I was not setting aside that time, and my relationship with the Lord was not as deep as he has called us to be. And someone encouraged me, you need to find this time. You need to find time to pray. I tend to be very action-oriented, checklist-oriented. I love reading the Bible because I have a little plan on my phone where I get to check off the chapters that I read, and that feels good. I'm not as good at putting that away, not having a measured purpose, but just spending time in prayer, talking to God, telling him what I'm going through, asking for his guidance, praising him for who he is. We should all find time to do that. For me, it's in the morning. I know for plenty, it's at lunch or in the evenings. Find some time to block everything else out and spend a little bit of time in prayer. And if that's intimidating and you don't know where to start, go through the Lord's Prayer. The disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? And he gave them the example of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. And though you've probably heard that, maybe even have it memorized, it's a great starting point if you're sitting down to pray and don't know where to begin, just walk through the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught. Think about each line. Pray through it in your own words and have that intentional, the one-on-one talk time with the Lord. The other piece is just as important though. Throughout the day, find opportunities to just reach out to God in prayer, even if it's brief. Maybe you're running late to work and you're coming up to a stoplight and it turns green just in time. Thanks, God. Small little things, but ways to orient our hearts towards him. Maybe you are going into a meeting and you just briefly pray, Lord, be with me in this meeting, guide my words. 
Help me to communicate what I need to communicate well. And even though there may not be the deeply focused, engaging time of prayer, those short little instances orient our hearts towards him. It's reaching out to him so that when we do sit down and have the intentional time of prayer, it's not the first time that we've talked to our father throughout the day. So find those little opportunities. As you go, whatever happens, any circumstance, reach out to the Lord in prayer. He is the king. He's also our friend, and he wants to know. He was with us in every circumstance, so talk to him through it. Pray continually. The third piece of it, the personal guidance that Paul gives to us is to give thanks in all circumstances. Similar to like we talked about in rejoicing always, because of the hope that he has given us for the future, we can rejoice always, and we can give thanks always. So as we find joy, as we rejoice, know where that comes from. The good gifts in our life are from our Father, and we should thank him for them, because he's good, and he deserves the praise for all of those things. So in every situation in your life, whatever is good and praiseworthy, thank the Lord for that, because those good gifts are from the Father, and he deserves a praise. Okay, let's move on to part three of Paul's instruction for us, the spiritual instruction. This is his guidance on how to interact with the Holy Spirit. He says, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. When we see the word prophecy, we often imagine Old Testament prophets who wrote about elaborate visions of what God has revealed to them for the end times. That is a part of what Paul means here, prophecy, a speaking directly from the Lord of things to come that are not yet seen. But prophecy can also mean anything that is divinely inspired. So can we still prophesy to each other? I believe the answer is absolutely. God can speak to us and call us to speak to others. What that often sounds like for me is in a moment of prayer, maybe I'll have a thought pass through my mind that, that reads a lot like a, a normal thought would, except that it doesn't quite seem like it comes from me and it is consistent with what I know of the character of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if one of those thoughts comes across your mind and it is consistent with those qualities, loving, joyful, peaceful, maybe that's from the Spirit and maybe it's worth listening to. Paul writes, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Share them, speak them to each other. It can be one of the most incredible things in the world when God gives you a little prompt through prayer that ends up hitting someone right where they needed it. I had a friend walk up to me one time and say, hey man, I was praying for you and I just, I kinda imagined you like balancing a lot of stuff and, and struggling with it and I just felt like God wanted me to tell you that he's balancing it for you and he's with you and he's got you. So. I have no idea if that means anything to you or you know, what that might be about, but I just wanted to share it with you. And what he didn't know is that that was exactly what I needed. I felt totally out of balance, like there was too many things going on, and that encouragement gave me the strength to carry on, and I knew that God was with me in it. And I'm so glad that he didn't quench the spirit and hide that. He chose to go out and share it, even though it was uncomfortable. He even said, I, had, I have no idea if this means anything to you right now. But it did. And I'm thankful that he listened enough to share. We should be like that for each other. We should be praying for each other. 
we should be receiving from the Spirit and encouraging each other in what the Lord prompts us to share. Paul also cautions us, though, to test. Test the prophecies against Scripture, against wise counsel, so that we can verify that what people are speaking to us is, in fact, good and worthy of of our attention. God will speak to us and lead, but we should reference the Scripture, and we should reference counsel. I had another experience where someone shared something with me that just didn't seem quite right, and I had some friends around who, right afterwards, put their hand on my shoulder and said, hey, man, I don't think that was for you at this time. And so I chose to, to believe their counsel and to approve the testing that they had gone through in prayer and say, someone wanted to share with you and it was a well-intentioned offer, but I don't think that was for you at the time. My wife encouraged me though to maybe just keep that up on the shelf. And sure enough, a couple years later, those same words came back to me in prayer and it was exactly what I needed five years down the road. So share prophecy, share those words of encouragement from the spirit, but test process with other people, other believers, and go to the word because we know what God has said. There's nothing new under the sun. He has revealed his truth to us in the scripture. So when we share these encouraging things with each other, test them against the scripture so that we can find what is good and then hold fast to it. Let's hold tight to what is good together and let's be a church that is rich in Holy Spirit-filled prophecy and words of encouragement that we share with one another, building each other up. So that wraps up Paul's parting instructions for us. Esteem and admonish each other. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Don't quench the spirit, but test and hold fast to what is good. As you imagine Paul writing this, imagine whatever image came to mind at the beginning when we're talking about a voicemail from dad, or a speech from your coach, or words of wisdom from your mom out the door, maybe a friend, coworker, boss, something that has been repeated to you that you've played over and over in your mind. Let these instructions from Paul play over and over in your mind. We've had a blessed several weeks of digging into what Paul wrote to us in 1 Thessalonians. He spoke to the church with love, and that applies to our church today just as much as it did 2,000 years ago. So as we lift up from the, the difficult pieces, the correction, and get to these parting instructions, Let's take them joyfully as we go and live out a life that makes us a church rich in gospel truth, rich in the Holy Spirit, and depth of the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the church at Thessalonica, and thank you for the words that Paul wrote to them. That same affection that he has for his church, God, you have for us an even greater God, help us to be a church that encourages and lifts up each other, a church that rejoices, prays, gives thanks to you. Help us to be a church that is rich in the Holy Spirit, that is engaged with what you're doing and quick to share words of encouragement, words of prophecy that you would give to us to share with one another. You're a good father. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done through this church and this family. God, be with us as we go, that we can glorify you, honor you, and love each other well. In Jesus' name, amen.